It's good to see you here this morning. We are continuing our series called The Journey. We, we began last week, and last week what we wanted to do was set the foundation, which really is going to be there for us every week. And the foundation was this, that each one of our journeys, our lives, and as we're going to be looking at the, the people in Scripture and the journey of the different people that we're going to be looking at, we see that every individual journey is still a part of the story that God has established. And we need to connect ourselves to his story so that we have meaning and so that we are able to actually have guidance in our life. And so it's important to recognize that as we are going to be looking at the different individuals and we're going to see maybe how certain things can relate to our own lives, remember we still are always going to be connecting to the story that God has set in motion. And really it's going to come up over and over again. This morning we're going to be looking at Abraham. The journey from Abram to Abraham and what that looks like. And so if you want, turn with me. To Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 28. Genesis 11, verse 28, it says, while his father Terah was still alive, this is Abram's father, was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nabor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Melcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But they came to Haran, and they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, a little bit of story. As Abraham's father, we know from Joshua chapter 24, was an idolater. It says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Naor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. And so this is the backdrop of where Abram is. We also know that Abram's son, Isaac, when he married Rachel, that Rachel took her father Laban's gods with her, put them in the saddle of her camel. And so she also was an idolater. And so we see that Abram is living at a time where people are worshiping many gods. They are worshiping gods that are connected to the land that they live in. They are worshiping gods that are connected to different belief systems. And all of a sudden, we we don't know if... Abram was an idolater or not, but this is where he grew from. And it's interesting because, you know, all it takes is one person to change their mind and all of a sudden it starts 
a change in a family. It starts a change of direction. You know, a person is an idolater until they aren't, until they stop. A person is an atheist until they believe. And so many times it's not like, you know, a gradual, I'm an atheist today and tomorrow, well, now I'm just an agnostic. I'm thinking about it a little bit. And now, well, I am kind of a deist, you know, believe. And now usually it'll happen very quickly when there is a change in how we think. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. And all of a sudden God speaks to your heart and says, I'm real. And you say, oh, man. Now what I do, well, now I believe. Why? Because God has spoken into my life or shown up in some way. And the change can be very sudden. And oftentimes it can be a little bit confusing. You know, I I lived in this frame of thought and this mentality, and maybe that's even where we've been at. You know, I grew up Catholic. I, I grew up whatever your faith has been. And all of a sudden you hear the message of Jesus and all of a sudden there's like a realization, a revelation of who God is clearly through the person of Jesus. And it changes your belief system and all of a sudden you think different. And so here is Abram living in this area with these people in this condition. And verse Or chapter 12, verse 1, it goes on, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you a great nation, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And so here is Abram and his wife Sarah, who is barren. She has no children because she could not conceive. And if you could not conceive children, then that was the extent of your future. You know, it's very difficult when you are are talking to someone and they are wanting to have children and they can't have children. And there's a pain that comes there because it's our desire to have kids and to have a family and to continue on. And when that can't happen... You know, it's a sad time and it's difficult. It was even more so at this time because this basically was the extinction of your family if you did not have children. Children were the way not only you continued in the things that you owned, but it was going to be, this is your welfare system. Your kids are going to care for you. They are going to grow up, be strong enough to continue your work so that you can continue living. Without children, you're at the mercy when you get older of your servants. And so it's a very difficult thing for them to deal with at this time. And there there was no future And it says that she was barren, and it's really a reflection of even in Genesis 1 where the earth was void, we see that Sarai was void. She was barren. There there was not the life in her. 
But in Genesis 1, even as God spoke, and it was in Genesis 1, God is speaking promise into their lives. Five times in this passage, God says, I will. A promise that is coming from God, and a promise is only as good as the character of the person who is giving it, right? Maybe you know that. Maybe people have promised you things, and you know, yeah, they promised me a lot. Oh, I promise I'll pay you tomorrow. I've been... I've been waiting for a year now, okay, to get that money back, okay? And so that promise means nothing because the character isn't there. And so the promise of God is coming not only just words, but from the character of God that I will accomplish these things. God will build a promise, and he's going to build this promise on the impossible. He's going to do something that can't be done, and he promises to do it. I mean, Abram is 75 years old at this time, and he says, I'm going to make you a nation. Now, remember when we were talking about the story of God, that God had set in motion from the the very beginning this dynamic where he wants relationship with mankind, and when man fell, God had a plan to, to bring restoration, and it starts very specifically here with this person. Now, this isn't the way I would have done it. I know you're all thinking, so what? Who are you? But this doesn't make sense to me. If I'm going to to reunite mankind to myself, I'm not going to do it from this old man and his old wife. I'm not going to to go to them and say, yes, you guys are where I'm going to start. He starts with something that's impossible. Something that can't be done. And from what can't be done, he is going to do the amazing. And just like God created the world as he spoke it, he is now going to create within the womb of Sarah the promise of redemption. And so Abraham's journey begins in a place where he's surrounded by idolatry. He is following his father's steps. And now God tells him, you need to go to this land. I'll show you as you go. And I'm going to build a nation from you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Paul talks about this moment in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. He says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with the man of faith, with Abraham, the man of faith. And so Paul, looking back, after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, looks back at this moment in time in Abraham's life and says, this is when God did something for you. This is when God extended his hand to the world, to the Gentiles, which is most of us. And as Abraham took a step of faith 
and journeyed to the land of Canaan, it is that faith in the same God who has done the miraculous through Jesus that we trust. He looks back and he sees this moment not just as a promise to Abram and Sarai, but he sees salvation and God preaching the gospel veiled in this story. Because remember, this is still God's story. He is still at work. And in the journey of Abraham, we are going to see God reveal himself more and more. And through this promise, Christ would come. To those who would believe in the possibility of the impossible, which is faith. And so Abram goes that he trusts the promise in spite of the fact that he doesn't know where he's going, in spite of the fact that the promise seems impossible, I'm old, in spite of all these things, he moves forward. And this is biblical faith. Many times we think of faith kind of like an infomercial. You know, if you buy this, then it will get rid of the rust around your, you know, bathroom sink. And you have faith that it's going to do that. It's kind of a promise that this is going to happen. Or if you take this pill, you will miraculously lose weight. And to us, faith is kind of this, well, if I do this, this is going to happen. But you see, the faith that God calls us into is a faith that leans on Him and on nothing else. It's a faith that says, go, and we say, where? And He says, I'll show you when you start going. That's a little scary. It's a lot scary. But you see, until we trust and until we step, we don't really believe. Belief requires action. Faith requires a dependency on God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is saying, God, I believe your words and I will do what you say even though this seems crazy. I will trust you in spite of how absurd that seems. I remember years ago I was sharing with a man who worked at 7-Eleven My friends and I would go there late at night because it was the only place that was open where you could get coffee and candy so that you could stay up later. And so we would go there and we saw him every night. And so we started a conversation and a friendship with him. And as we were talking to him, we shared faith in Christ with him. And I remember one night as we were talking to him and I asked him if he would like to receive Christ, if he would want to follow after Jesus. And he said, I would, but I can't. And I said, well, why can't you? And he says, because I don't make enough money and I have to lie and cheat on my income taxes and I can't be a follower of Christ and then lie on my income taxes. And I remember being stunned and thinking, well, I got to respect him for having integrity. Most Christians I know lie, you know, so... But I remember just being stunned and then the thought came to me, 
Maybe you can trust God to meet your needs even in spite of your circumstances. You see, maybe your faith in God needs to push you to a place where there's more dependency on Him, more reliance on Him, and maybe that's when God can show up in different ways in your life. And see, that's what faith does, is it pushes us to places where this seems a little unreasonable unless God really exists. And what we see in the beginning part of Abraham's journey, a journey of faith, is the decision he makes where he decides to believe in this, that there is a God who is real, that the world we are living in is not a closed system, that we are just a, a product of circumstances, of nature, that it is a closed system and nothing changes. The fact that he believes that there is something else, there is a God who is able to do more, is what he relies on. And we each have to make that kind of a step. Am I going to believe that there really is a God who is at work in human history in the world, or am I going to believe that there isn't and it's every man for himself, the survival of the fittest, you've got to do what you can, and that's all there is. And this is where Abraham's journey forks and starts to take this turn. I'm going to believe that God is real and I'm actually going to step in to what he is saying and it changes everything. Because if we want to believe that this is all we are, it's just something that we have to live in, then that is going to change the direction of our lives. And what I have found in my own life, even as a person who believes in God, is many times my belief will only get me so far. I believe in God until it gets really difficult. And then I call in the cavalry. Then I try and get some help or try and work things out. You know, when, when you have to trust God for, say, your children. You know, your, your kids are struggling and you have this parental instinct. I've got to help them. I've got to step in. I've got to take care of them. And then you know that God wants to actually work in their life. And for God to work in their life, he needs you to let go. And so many times it's so hard to let go. Why? Because I don't really believe that God is going to take care of them. Well, I don't say that. I'll masquerade that, but that's really what's taking place. And God has shown up, at least in our lives, time and time again, when we said we can do nothing further. And it's almost as if God says, good, I'll take it from here. And then all of a sudden, whoop, things change. And then the kid's doing great, and it's like, what? If I would have known that, I'd have given up 20 years ago, you know? I would have trusted God more. And it just shows how many times we limit this trust in God. But Abraham's faith is just like ours. And I love that. I love 
how honest Scripture is. Because right after God gives him this incredible promise, there's a famine in the land. And so Abram goes to Egypt, and he goes into Egypt, and even though Sarah is old, she's a beautiful woman, and he says, hey, listen, you're beautiful, and they're going to see you with me, and they're going to kill me so that they could have you, so just tell them that you're my sister. How does that fly with you guys, right? Isn't that like, oh, sure, that works with me, you know? But that's what he, he does. And it seems to me that she's an important part of this promise. She's the one who's actually going to have to bear this child. But Abraham does that, or Abram does it. He, he says, okay, yeah, and they say, oh, she's beautiful for whatever reason. You know, maybe it was the color of her hair, skin, eyes. Who knows what it was that made her unique. But they saw her and they said, yeah. And so Pharaoh brings her into his household so that she can be a part of his harem. And there's Abram working on his flock, just tending his sheep, minding his own business. And you see, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And so Abram's like, I don't want to die. Ah, you're my sister. Sorry, I'll catch up with you later. He's minding his sheep. And Pharaoh then gets dealt with by God. Pharaoh goes to Abram and says, what are you doing to me? Why would you tell me she was your sister? Take her, get out of here. And then Abram, okay, come on, Sarah, let's go. All right, we're out of here. See you guys later. And then... What is with that? God protects her and the promise. You know, when we're faithless, it hurts people. When we're faithless, it has consequences on the people around us. But even when we're faithless, God remains faithful. And Abram's faith is real. Sometimes it's solid, and then sometimes it stumbles just like mine. I love this because here is the father of faith and he looks a lot like me. There are days when, man, my faith is strong and maybe it'll be after a Sunday morning. You'll hear a message, you know, maybe. And, you know, and it'll just like, yeah, man, I'm charged. Yes, I believe God for anything. Let's go for it. And you're ready to conquer the world. And then Monday morning rolls around And then the bills come in the mail. And man, your faith just goes out the window. I believed until the circumstances changed. And then we realize what we really believe. And that's what's happening with Abram, just like it happens to us. But you see, God has made a promise to us as well. That he has begun a good work in us and that he will complete it. God promises that he's going to conform us into the image of his son. He he promises that he will never leave or forsake us. These are promises given to us. These are things that we need to walk in as a reality. Is this the system that we are going to believe in or is it not? Because if this is our belief system, then it should shape how we move forward. It should shape how we think. It should shape how we live. And then the promise unfolds after some time. And years have gone by, 
And in Genesis 15, the story continues, verses 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate, Eliezer of Damascus, and Abram said, You have given me, and Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, "You So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. We can begin to question the promises of God. God, really? Are you taking care of me? Why is this happening? I have no child. Eliezer, my servant, is going to inherit everything I have. And God says, come with me. And he takes him outside. And I, I remember when I had climbed Mount Whitney years ago. And I went with my brother and a couple of friends. And we set up a base camp somewhere up before we went up to the final peak. And when we went out at night, I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of night, and I went outside, and I remember looking at the stars, and it was scary. It was alarming how bright it was because of how many stars there were out there. It was just like, oh my gosh. And so I imagine Abraham going out there, looking up in the sky that is a blanket of stars, And God's saying, just as I spoke these stars into the void of space, I am going to speak life into Sarah's womb. Can you count the stars? And I don't think God was saying, see, go ahead and count them. That's how many kids you're going to have. I think God was giving him an illustration. I think it was an overwhelming experience for him to go out there and see, this is too vast. And God's saying, that's what I am going to do. But when we begin to question the promise of God, God speaks into our lives. He spoke creation into being and God is going to speak salvation into the rebellion that has taken place. And belief is credited as righteousness. Belief and trust in God is seen by God as being right. So again, here's the story. A barren couple, Grandpa and Grandma Abram, in their 90s now, they really don't have a lot of possibilities. I mean, think about it. 90 years old, childish. I mean, you can work harder, but it's probably not going to produce a kid. Okay, And it is funny, just like whoever laughed there. Okay, The humor that is in that is ridiculous as it sounds. It is just as humorous that you can make yourself right before God. You can't. That's funny. You see, God is able to make what seems impossible possible, not you. God is able to do something miraculous here, not you. 
And so you step into the promise with your life and with your actions. And God goes on and he makes a covenant with Abram. He makes an agreement with him. And in this journey, Abram goes from a place of of living in idolatry to, to believing that God has called him to do this thing and he steps into the promise and then God makes an agreement with this man, which is unheard of, that God would make a covenant and bind himself to a man. But that's exactly what he does. He has in chapter 15 this strange dream where there's these animals that are split and he, he's supposed to walk through them because that's what you do when you make an agreement and a covenant that as these animals have been divided and the blood is there flowing together, you walk through that and you say, nothing can separate us except death. But Abram doesn't walk through the covenant, only the smoke does, the pillar which represents God. And God makes the covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to do what you can't do. And so Abram is now on a journey with the living God in agreement with the living God. And what does he do? Well, in chapter 16, they doubt again. This time it's Sarai. She says, hey, I ain't getting any younger. I ain't having no kids. There's Hagar, the handmaid. Maybe you can have a kid with her. Abram, okay. And so he does. And think of what a big mistake that has been. And once again, God doesn't give up. You know, and and this is so encouraging to me because in my life's journey, and maybe you can relate to it too in yours, I have made some huge blunders. I have made some big, big mistakes. And you might think, oh man, I just blew it. I just had a kid with a handmaid. Now, I didn't. Abram did, okay? And God doesn't stop working in spite of Abram's deficiency, in spite of Sarai's lack. God still remains faithful. How many times have we made mistakes that could derail the plans that God would have for us? How many times has the mercy and grace of God picked us up? How many times every morning His mercies are new? So once again, God is continuing His work in spite of Abram and Sarai. Chapter 17, God appears to Abram again and changes both their names to Abraham and to Sarah. Still there's no child for Sarah, only Ishmael. Then in chapter 18, Abraham Abraham has three visitors and God speaks through them. And it's a strange encounter in chapter 18, verses 10 through 15. It says, Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abram and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did. You laughed. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Again, what is your belief system? Is faith a part of it where nothing is too difficult for God and God can work in this impossible situation? Or is your system closed and that's just not the way God is? There is no God. There is no trusting in these things. I don't believe that. You see, this has moved them. And, and this laugh that Sarah has, it, it's, it's an Easter laugh. It, it's a laugh of, oh man, wouldn't that be something? It'd be like if you went to your grandmother and said, hey, you're going to have a kid. She'd laugh, oh, wow, really? How is that going to happen? It wasn't the laugh of, of ridicule as much as it was a laugh like, oh, gosh, I can't imagine that. And so they named their son Isaac, which means laughter. And again, is a name that is reflective to the joy that is given by the God who does the impossible. God gives a gentle rebuke. He doesn't get heavy on Sarah. And and I love that because God always deals with us in our condition. She goes, I didn't laugh. He goes, no, you laughed. And that's it. He just calls her on it. Because he knows where she's at. And you see, if you live in faith, then there is always the possibility for God to do something and to work. If you don't believe then you're stuck with your circumstances and whatever you can muster. And the journey of faith that Abraham is on takes him to a place where the impossible can happen. See, faith is not using God to create the life you want. Faith is trusting God with the life that he has given you. And so it's not that I'm going to use God and get what I want. I want this car. I want this money. I want this wealth. Faith is my magic lamp that I can rub and get what I want. No, faith is my connection to God so that I can live the life that he has called me to live. And God has called Abram to do something that is impossible, to be something he can't be. And he's done the same for you and same for me. He has called us to be the image of his son, Christ. I can't do that. I don't think you can either, but he can do that in us. He is able to take who we are and conform us into his image so that through you and through me, God can be seen. And it's an amazing thing. Everything is possible, but not everything is promised. We are to orient our lives around the promises he makes and not to try and get him to make new ones. Does that make sense? We're not here to get God to make new promises for us. We're here to appropriate the promises he has made and to orient our lives around those. Something is happening to Abraham through all of this through the promise, through the doubts, through the time. It's producing something with Abram. It's producing a relationship, a dynamic that we start to see take shape. And so later on, when 
God is saying, I'm going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot is there. Abraham reasons with God and he has this interaction with God. And in verse 25 of chapter 18, we see that he says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? Bold words. How could he talk to God that way? Because he is getting to know God. How does he know this about God? Because God has been dealing with him according to God's character. And he is starting to know the character of God. And so he is able to actually have conversation with God in this. This is not only giving us a revelation about who God is. It's giving us insight into the knowledge and relationship that Abraham has with God. It's helping us to see that something is transforming in this person as he is journeying in the promise of God. It is changing the dynamic of his life with God. And so people will say a lot of things about God, who he is, what he's like. But it's the person who journeys with God who knows God's words, who is able to understand the character of God and what he is like. And we see kind of the climactic point of all this in chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to them, him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now, I got to tell you, this passage troubles me. It troubles me for a lot of reasons. It troubles me, first of all, because God's testing him, and I hate tests. I just never liked it. I get nervous. If, I, if there's going to be a test, I panic. I'm never good at studying, so I would rather be sick that day and try and work it that way. You know, maybe they'll give me a break. I'm not going to give you my school secrets, the things I did and how I graduated. But this troubles me that God would actually test Abraham. And it's troubling, and I believe it's meant to be. I believe it's meant to be troubling. It goes on in verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Okay, now we know that. Sarah has given birth. God's promise has been fulfilled. She did give birth to a son. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that God would even give him a son back from the dead. And we get kind of a glimpse of that right here as he says, we're going to go and we will come back. And so we're getting an insight here 
that Abram is believing God that he has given him his son, but he's also believing that God wants him to do this and will work this out somehow. Verse 6, Abram took the wood of the birth offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abram built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he raised out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, And have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the sand in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed. In Beersheba. One of the things that's troubling about the story is, of course, what God asks him to do to his son. And, and when we see a story like this, it is our tendency to identify with Abraham. Say, what would I do if God were to test me? Well, one of the things we learn from this story is at a time when the nation surrounding them offered children in sacrifice, we see that this God does not. And so if you ever think you hear God saying to sacrifice your child, he's not, okay? That's just you with lack of sleep, okay? (laughs) And so we see that This isn't what is happening, but our tendency is to look at Abraham and identify with him in this story. But at the time it was written, the readers would most likely identify themselves actually with Isaac. At a time, again, when child sacrifice is common, the question is, will we survive? You see, if Isaac dies, we die and the promise dies. And so will we be sacrificed? Or will we survive? Will God demand our lives? Or will he provide so that we may live? In the Hebrew story, there's a lot happening here that is familiar to them in the culture that they're living in. The importance of the firstborn. 
who would carry on your name, your legacy. The need for sacrifice and atonement. The identification with the sacrifice, in this case, the identification with Isaac. The blessing that God promised to them as the people is bound here just like Isaac is bound. And Isaac is anywhere from 13 to 40 years old when this is happening. He's not just a small boy. And so there is the willingness of Isaac to go along because Abraham's over 100 now. And so, you know, if he wanted to, he could probably get away. You know, it's not hard to run from a 100-year-old guy. You know, might be sketchy at first. He pulled out the knife and then I was like dodging him, but then I got away. I mean, he, he could get out of it if he wanted to, but he submits to this. He surrenders to that. And you see, all these things are very familiar to the Hebrew mind in this culture, the firstborn, the sacrifice from the very beginning in Adam and Eve when God provided the animals to, to cover their nakedness to the offerings that were made. And then we have understanding when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to be baptized and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sacrifice, atonement is a part of God's story from the very beginning. And throughout it, it's seen that God is the one who provides the sacrifice so that we can live. And they would see that God provided the sacrifice so that Isaac could live. It was a sign that God was providing what was necessary so that they as a nation could live. This is where we need to identify with the story. Not so much with Abraham who's being tested, but with the question, will we die or will we live? Will we be provided Verse 13, we see the ram caught and the Lord providing. Three times in this story, we read your son, the son that you love, and the Lord will provide. We hear these words again in Matthew's gospel. After Jesus is baptized, when God speaks and he says, behold, this is my son, my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. See, but God did not withhold the knife from his son because he provided the sacrifice for us. And in Abraham's journey, a place where faith begins, where there's falter, where there's faith, where there is a covenant with God, where there is the stumbling. And here we get to the, the pinnacle where Abraham has moved in his faith so much that he says, I will do whatever you say and I believe in what you have said. Romans chapter 8, 31, verse 32, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? As Abraham has journeyed and now 
had come to this place where he trusts God this much, God is using that to show us that I will provide for you as well. I provided for Abraham and his son, spared him. I will spare you as well. And as the nation of Israel would look at this story and say, we're going to live because God provided the sacrifice so that Isaac would not have to bear this sacrifice because there has to be atonement, but God isn't going to kill us. He's going to provide another way so that we can live. We see that fulfilled in the person of Christ completely. The question that the story asks of us is not, what do you do when you're tested? But who do you trust to provide for you? Who do you trust for your salvation? Is it because of anything you can do, any action you can take? Is it because of your faith? Is it because of how good you are, how much you trust God? Or is it because the Lord has provided a Savior? And if He has given Christ, He will give us what is necessary. As it says in verse 18, And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because God provided, that's why we are blessed. Because God has taken care of this, we get to enjoy his blessings and live. And you see, the reason we are going to be partaking of communion throughout this series is because it always comes down to this point that God has provided a way for us to be a part of his story. And just as he led Abraham to this, and as Paul told him, this is really the gospel. Your faith that God would provide is only seen its fulfillment in God's provision through Jesus. And what's beautiful about the journey of Abraham is something that we see in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12, and it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he later would receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He lived in Canaan, the land that God promised. No one else knew it was the land of promise, just him. He's a nomad. He's living in a tent. Some guy comes by with his sheep. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, this is all mine. It is? Yeah. Okay, buddy. And they just keep going on. Like, what what do you mean that's all yours? I've been promised. This land belongs to me, to my descendants. It's ours. Verse 10, he says, For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, this land was not enough for Abraham. He was looking for more. He wanted a city where God was the builder. He was in a relationship with the living God and as his life came to an end, he knew there was more and his faith was in the God who provided more. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky 
and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham lived in the land promised by God. No one else even knew that he was actually the one who was inheriting this. And he was looking for more. And it's in his journey that he discovers that his destination is much more than Canaan. That his destination is God himself. It is more than getting what you want out of life. It is actually getting the God who gave you life. In our journey, so many times I find myself trying to get things to hold on to, to try and fulfill my life. And I come to a place where I realize, really, I need the God who gave me life. And I have what I need. I have all that I need. Abram's journey led him to more than he ever could have imagined. In Abraham's journey, we see the promise of God in the person of Christ. And so Jesus in Luke chapter 22 says, He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And what Jesus is declaring is what Abraham was pointing to all those years ago, saying, God will provide himself the sacrifice. And so we claim the promise of Abraham that God is faithful. And like Isaac, we see we too will survive. That God will provide so that we do not have to give our lives because Christ has given his. And so as we partake of communion this morning, let us remember that we are enjoying a promise that is thousands of years old. That we are participating in what God has done all those years ago and that we too will survive that we too have been provided for, and that's what this represents, is God's provision for you and for me. And it is enough. I want you to understand, many times a passage in Corinthians is quoted where it says, you know, if anyone takes of this bread unworthily, they bring condemnation and judgment to themselves. And, and so many times I have heard that, oh, if we take it unworthy, if I'm not worthy enough to, to partake of this, then I shouldn't. Let me tell you something. You are never worthy enough to take of this. That's the whole point of this. You will never be able to provide the sacrifice necessary. It has been provided for you. That is the good news. So wherever you find yourself here today, you are invited to this table 
All that is required is that you understand that it is God who provides for you, that you trust in His provision for you. And then you're welcome to the table. So may we recognize God's goodness that's been poured out for us. And we're going to partake the same way we did last week. You're going to come up and you can dip the bread one time into the bowl and you can go back to your seat. And I want you to reflect on the provision that God has made and to see that you don't have to die. The price has been paid for you. Recognize the goodness of God and have faith in what He has promised. And even though it might seem impossible to you, He's the God who works the miraculous. God, may we embrace Your goodness this morning. Father, may we be drawn to Your love. May we understand that You have set us free. That we are bound no longer by the sin that once would slay us, but you have indeed been slain for us. And may our hearts be gripped by your goodness and might we journey towards you, even as Abraham did. We are not satisfied with the land. We are only satisfied with you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come up and partake as Alex sings in song. Father, we thank you that when we ask the question, will we live, you've answered yes. That in you there is life and there is life to full. And Lord, we have faith in you and in what you have done. Lord, we, like Abraham and Sarah, are dead and unable to to produce life in ourselves, but you have given it to us as we entrust ourselves to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw us into your story and that, like Abraham, our journey would take us to a place of deeper understanding and relationship with you, the living God. Let's all stand together. Amen. May your faith not be on how strong you are, but how strong the promise of God is to you. May you take hope, not in your circumstances, but in the God who is faithful and who has paid the price for you. God bless you guys. Have a great day.